Even the most effective church can be ruined by a few who compromise the principles of God's Word. What about those who remain true? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares Christ's words of hope and encouragement for those who stand firm in their faith, even in the midst of what he calls the adulterous church. Here to introduce the conclusion of that message is David. And thank you for joining us. We're excited to have you along for our study. And today we're going to finish up one of the seven churches of Revelation. During this series, we're looking at the letters that were written by John to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Today, uh, the church is the church in Thyatira, and it is a church with a number of problems, primarily a problem of allowing someone to come into the church from the outside and have a bad influence on the congregation. It is not uh, an uncommon problem. I hear about it many times each year from churches where they call us and ask us what to do. This person has come in. They're taking our church in the wrong direction. What should we do? Well, the Lord has some pretty strong words through his apostle to this congregation, and we'll get back to it in just a moment. Let me remind you that during this month, this very big book, this this book that is the largest book we've ever made available, this kind of like... uh, It's a dictionary of prophecy, really, more than anything else, 463 pages. Uh, You can get this book, and it's really a primer on prophecy. We insisted that they put a very uh, serious index in the back of the book so that anything you hear about in the prophetic world, if you look in the index, it's probably mentioned in one of the chapters. It will direct you right to the place where we talk about it. It's a very wonderful tool. I think it will be helpful to you going forward. So when you send your gift, be sure and ask for your copy of the Book of Signs. Well, um, today we finish up our discussion of the church in Thyatira. So open your Bible to the second chapter of Revelation, and let's begin. Thyatira had everything going for it except one thing, holiness. It was doing all the work of God, going through all the motions, even seeming to produce the right product. When we think back to the church in Ephesus, we remember a body that could not bear evil, but the body had no love. Thyatira had love, but tolerated evil. The difference between the two is only the difference in strategy of Satan as he tries to come after the church. The Bible says that God's will for us is to be holy. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. Ephesians 1, 4. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Titus 2, 13 and 14. Jesus Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Here was the problem in Thyatira. Let me ask you if it doesn't seem like it has a little bit of application today. They were a good church. They did a lot of good things. But the lifestyle of the people wasn't much different from the lifestyle of the city where the church was planted. Today, as you read the statistics that come out from some of the surveys that are being done you shudder to think that the statistics of moral failure in the church are almost at the same level as the statistics in the world. 
in that situation, Satan has infiltrated the church with this attitude that, you know, it doesn't matter what you do morally. And little by little, it becomes sort of a comfort thing within the church. Now, notice how this is described in the letter. The church tolerated a satanic woman. Here is the story of Jezebel. Notice it says you have Jezebel in your church. Now, they didn't have actually Jezebel from the Old Testament. But let me tell you what is going on here. If you know the story of Jezebel, you know that she was the wife of Ahab, one of the most wicked kings of Israel. Her father was a priest of Astarte. Under Ashtaroth or Astarte, religion was divorced from morality. And in that religion, sexual immorality was made a part of their worship. You read in the history books about them actually having temple prostitutes. Does that sound like a disconnect if you ever heard one? Temple prostitutes. Prostitutes who worked out of the temple where the goddess Astarte was worshipped. When Jezebel married Ahab, she brought her wicked religion with her. She persuaded Ahab to build a temple and an altar to Astarte in Samaria. She supported 850 prophets of her immoral cult, and she killed all the prophets of Jehovah that she could find. King Jehu referred to her ways as harlotries and sorceries. 2 Kings chapter 9. Ahab didn't have the spiritual courage or the conviction to stop his wife. He just let her go. Marcus Lone describes the effect that she had on the nation of Israel. She brought into their drab, commonplace way of life a riot of color and excitement, and they succumbed to the glamour of her charm and beauty. Ahab's court was filled with luxury, and his people caught the intoxication. There were priests of Baal and sun worship and a temple at an altar in the heart of Samaria. There were works of art and music. There was harlotry. There was sorcery. And this was all in the service of Baal. She swept men off their feet. All her wickedness was so attractive. They forgot the simplicities of David. They forsook the austerities of Moses. Their way of life was changed before they were aware of it, and they began to dance to her music and to fall down before her gods. In the church, in the city, the harlotries of Jezebel. If you review the life of Jezebel, you discover that she was responsible for killing Naboth and possessing his vineyard for her husband. And beside killing all the prophets of Baal that she could find and the prophets of the Lord that she could find, she did what she could do to try to kill Elijah too. So evil was Jezebel's character that she is singled out by Elijah for a special prophecy that she would come to a sudden end and that her body would be eaten by dogs and that prophecy was fulfilled in 2 Kings 9, 33-36. Without any question, Jezebel was the epitome of subtle corruption and the symbol of immorality and idolatry in her day. She was a wicked woman. If you have a little girl, don't call her Jezebel. <laughs> I don't really know anybody who has a daughter named Jezebel, but if they knew what the Bible said, they'd probably change her name. 
That's the story of Jezebel. But obviously, as I said, Jezebel didn't live in Thyatira. The scripture says the spirit of Jezebel was in Thyatira. By the time Christ writes to the church in Thyatira, this woman Jezebel had been dead for nearly a thousand years. Her spirit, however, had been revived in a prophetess who had become prominent in Thyatira. Claiming to be a prophetess of God, this new Jezebel was causing the Christians in Thyatira to indulge in immoral practices. Some think that the Christians were being enticed by Jezebel to attend ceremonies and festivals of the local trade unions, and these ceremonies were dedicated to some pagan god and usually incorporated sensuality or sexuality as part of the festival. The followers of the Jezebel of Thyatira prided themselves in the deep things which they had mastered. They had come to believe, listen to this, that they possessed information that the average Christian didn't know. The Christians in Thyatira had either a poor conscience or very weak courage. Their refusal to rebuke the Jezebel was just like Ahab's refusal to deal with his own wife. And all the while, this wicked woman was contriving to tempt the servants of the Lord to sin. If it is God's purpose to make us holy, Satan's purpose is to frustrate that. He is seeking ceaselessly both to entice individual Christian believers to sin and to insinuate evil into the churches where he cannot muzzle the church's witness by persecution from without. He resorts to the subtler assault of pollution from within. How often have we heard in these last years of someone we know, someone we respect, and oh, why hasn't he come back? Well, He's had an affair with someone in his church. He's involved in immorality over and over and over again. My friend and professor, Dr. Howard Hendricks, carried a little black book for many years, according to his own testimony. And in that black book, the names of former students at Dallas Seminary who had fallen into immorality and are no longer in the ministry. And when I talked to him about that several years ago, he was north of 100 in the book. And one time he told me that he went through that list and knowing all of these men, knowing a little bit about all of them, tried to find if there was any common denominator in their lives. And he said the one thing that seemed to show up more than anything else was arrogance and pride. Arrogance and pride. And why not? The Bible says pride goes before a fall and arrogance goes before destruction. So in this church in Thyatira, Satan had infiltrated the church with this evil ideology, this idea that God wants everybody to be happy, that no restriction should be upon pleasure, and that even though you claim to be a Christian, you should not be concerned about entering into the frivolity that was so present in the city of Thyatira. Now, in verses 21 and following, the Lord makes some comments to the church, and these are instructive to us as we finish up this letter. The Lord's message to this church is presented in three packages. One part of the letter is addressed to the cult of Jezebel. One part is addressed to the few Christians who are still standing strong. And the other part is addressed to those who would be overcomers. Notice the message to the cult in verse 21. 
And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. That is a pretty strong statement. A threat, first of all, of distress. Almighty God, through Jesus Christ, says to this church, if you do not deal with the Jezebel cult in your center, I will cast her into a sickbed. Because she was given a chance to repent and time was allotted for her consideration and she did not respond to this grace, now the Lord promises that she will be cast into the bed of affliction and those who participated with her in her evil deeds will be cast into tribulation. The Lord will transform Jezebel's couch where she has been committing her sin into a bed of pain and suffering and death. Those who had shared in the sin of Jezebel will share in the suffering of Jezebel. Now, I don't know what that all meant in that church. I do not know. What I do know is that the Bible says, for this reason, many are sick and some even die. Do you know that we don't do a lot with church discipline in our churches these days, but Almighty God is still at work in disciplining churches. And I don't know if I've ever witnessed it. I remember one time when I thought I had. (laughs) There was the threat of distress, but there was also the threat of death. I will kill her children with death. Like the sons of the original Ahab and Jezebel, these children are also doomed. Perhaps the reference here is to the actual illegitimate children of Jezebel's promiscuity. I don't know. It's more probable that this points to the spiritual children of this cultic family. Just as Paul referred to his convert in the faith as his son Timothy, so these evil teachers bore spiritual children as well. Such literal punishments as sickness and death are certainly within the scope of this statement. This was the era of Ananias and Sapphira. Remember that? That was pretty swift, wasn't it? They lied to the Holy Spirit. Do you remember that story in the book of Acts? Their fellow churchman Barnabas had sold a bunch of property and given it to the Lord. And he got a lot of pats on the back for it, I'm sure. Ananias and Sapphira had a lot of property too, and they decided, well, if he's going to get some recognition, we should too. And the Bible says they went out and sold their property, but they didn't give it all to the Lord. They deceived the church as if they were giving it all to the Lord and kept back part of it for themselves. A lot of people misunderstand that story. They weren't killed because they didn't give all the money to the church. They were killed because they said they gave it all to the church and they were deceitful. And the Lord God in the early days of the church wanted to make a statement about holiness. Somebody said the sheet was white and that little black spot on the sheet showed up like you wouldn't believe. And in the immediate moment of time, The Bible says they were both killed. The feet of those who have carried out your husband have come to carry you out. That is the judgment of God. We don't hear much about that today. In fact, I don't hear about it at all. In fact, some of you are probably sitting there thinking, I think Jeremiah's been staying up too late at night. (laughs) But that's in the Bible, isn't it? Whether we like to accept it or not, 
God has his tolerance point with his family. You won't lose your salvation. You just get an early exit out of life and go to be with the Lord. So the message to the cult was, live your lives in the presence of Christ. Know that he has eyes like the flame of fire. And you may not think anybody else knows what you're doing, but he does. He sees behind the closed doors you think nobody knows are ever open to anyone's view. That's why he's described like that in this letter. The message to the Christians is in verse 24 and 25. Now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no further burden, but hold fast what you have. The Lord Jesus here is just saying to the Christians in that town who aren't caught up in this, he is saying, I don't want to put any more burdens on you. Just hold fast. Not everyone in the church of Thyatira had become part of this evil cult. There were still some who did not follow Jezebel and her teaching, and therefore they had not known the deep things of Satan. This is the first time in the messages of the seven churches that a group is singled out within a local church as being the continuing true testimony of the Lord. To this group of Christians, Christ gives some clear instruction. He says they are to carry no other burden. They are to go forward and hold on to their faith. You know, that's probably an important word, isn't it? Because sometimes in churches where you are maybe in a small group or you're involved with folks and you hear about stuff and you wonder, wow, am I the only one? (laughs) I mean, I used to think everybody thought that was, no, no, that's not the way it is. There's a kind of acceptance within the body of Christ of things today that would never have been accepted in earlier days. And some folks who still don't accept those things are singled out for special treatment by the more avant-garde members of the church sometimes. What I tell people that I have never smoked and I don't drink, I've never had a drop of alcohol that I'm aware of. Somebody might have put it in my food or something, but I have never had any alcohol out of a bottle. I've never taken drugs. I've never been unfaithful to my wife you're almost looked at it like, well, what's the matter with you? I mean, aren't you going to experience life? No, I have no intention of experiencing that life. I have a desire to be a part of that group that decides not to do that. And by very saying that, I realize that I put myself in jeopardy because let him who thinks he stand take heath lest he fall. But ladies and gentlemen, it's all right not to be a part of the cool bunch. It's all right to be faithful to the things of God and to stand for the things you believe. Many people who have those feelings, have those desires, are frustrated because it's become so easy for the standards to be broken down in our churches. That's the message to the cult and the message to the Christians. And then finally, there's the message to the conquerors. Notice verses 26 and following. And he who overcomes keeps my works until the end. To him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. As I also have received from my father, I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As in all of the other letters, Christ closes his message to the church in Thyatira with a promise to those who are overcomers. 
He says, those who overcome will receive the power to rule. Do you know what that means? That means that your faithfulness to God, to his holy plan in your life, and to the responsibilities he's given you here now, your faithfulness to that will determine your power to rule in the millennium when we rule with Christ on this earth as a part of his kingdom. And I don't know how much responsibility you believe you should be given, but the responsibility you're given to rule with him will be related to your faithfulness in the responsibility you have been given now and your faithfulness to carry that out with godliness and righteousness and faithfulness. The millennium's going to be quite a revelation, is it not? Some people that we think might be rulers could be in charge of the dog pound. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> because God's the only one. Remember, he's the one with the flaming eyes. He sees what really happens, what's really going on. Those who endure will receive the power to rule, and then those who endure will receive the promise of the rapture. To the overcomers also is given the promise of the morning star. Jesus Christ is the bright and morning star, and this promise to the faithful then is a promise of his presence. It apparently refers to Christ as the returning one who will rapture the church before the dark hours preceding the tribulation and the millennial kingdom. Now that's a long letter with some very forward statements. Andrew Bonar tells how he woke up at four o'clock on an autumn morning back in 1849. He said the morning star was shining directly before our window in a bright sky. One part of the window was misty with frost and the other was clear and through the clear part the star shone most beautifully. I thought of Christ's words, he wrote, the bright and morning star. Christ is all this to me in this world till the day breaks. I fell asleep, and when I next awoke, the sun was shining through my room. Shall it not be thus in the resurrection? Some night I shall fall asleep, and the bright and morning star will come and take me to be with my Father in heaven. You don't go to heaven because you live perfectly as a Christian, but you are rewarded for your faithfulness. And whatever else we take away from this letter and the other letters that we have studied, let us learn that churches aren't much different today than they were back then. The same issues that they fought are the issues we fight. If you could talk to the church leaders of the evangelical church, they would all say what we have discussed is basically the same issue we have today. And when I listen to the pastors who come by my desk at these events and they pour out their heart to me about what's going on in their churches, I realize that Satan is alive and well today, and his target is the church. If he can allow the church to lose its influence because of moral failure, he will have accomplished a great goal in his life. Let us pray that it never happens. Not here, not now, not ever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, we've had a great week uh, investigating these churches uh, from the second chapter of Revelation. We will 
continue that tomorrow, and we're so glad that you've decided to be with us. Don't forget to send your gift to Turning Point during this month to help us with all that we do across this nation and around the world. And when you do, we'll send you this beautiful book. The book is 31 Signs, 31 Signs of the Apocalypse, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. And you can get this book during the month of March for a gift of any size to Turning Point. I want to encourage you to be faithful in supporting this ministry. It's because of your faithfulness and your generosity that we're able to continue to do what we're doing all over the world in teaching the Word of God. Yes, even the prophetic Word of God that God has promised to bless if we do it. He's blessing you through your study of it, and we encourage you to help us this month with your gift and ask for this 463-page book, and it will be shipped to you as soon as we get your request. We'll see you right here tomorrow on This Good Station. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. If this ministry is an encouragement to you, please let us know by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, The Book of Signs, 31 Undeniable Prophecies of the Apocalypse. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries and instantly access our content. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the seven churches of Revelation here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr., the noted Supreme Court Justice of the early 20th century, had a unique perspective on trouble we encounter in life. He said, Meet trouble as a friend, for you'll see a lot of it, and you'd better be on speaking terms with it. 
Just as Holmes and Job in the Old Testament shared similar views on trouble, Job said, Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Some things are predictable, like sparks floating up from a campfire and the likelihood of encountering trouble. Better be prepared with God's ways to manage trouble before it arrives. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's ways to respond to trouble on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.